Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. All right, well, we're continuing today in Ecclesiastes. I got a, an easy assigned topic of Ecclesiastes 5. And um, hey, I want to really recommend this week, spend a second reading the first part, uh, reading the whole chapter. It's a powerful chapter. The first part gives us some really powerful just language about how we as humans can approach God. So spend a minute reading that first part. But I feel like the Lord is leading us to the second part of the chapter of Ecclesiastes this morning. So let's just dive right into the text. We're going to start in verse 10. So this is Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. It says this, Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Thanks, Mom. (laughs) So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. Verse 13 says, there is another serious problem I have seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments like a bank when inflation is high or Bitcoin or money is put into the housing market. And we all know that's a bubble, right? Too soon? Wow, dang. (laughs) Money is put into risky... I'm a homeowner, I'm a homeowner. All right, the scripture, the scripture. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour. This is the scripture, I'm not making this up. And everything is lost. In the end, there is nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. And this, too, is a very serious problem. People leave this world no better off than when they came. All their hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Anybody maybe resonate with some of these feelings this morning? Frustrated, discouraged, angry. We definitely can resonate with living under a cloud on July 3rd. So the author in Ecclesiastes, he, he describes a, a, a type of person, someone who's frustrated, discouraged, angry, working for the wind, saving money, losing it all. This, is, this kind of person, I want to describe them today as discontent, discontent. But there's a second type of person that he talks about starting in verse 18. Let's read. He says, even so, I have noticed one thing at least that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This indeed is a gift from God. Now this, I want to notice something here with this scripture. After four grueling chapters of existential crises, At the end of chapter five is the first time the author of Ecclesiastes ever says anything is good. This is good, right? 
And what does he say is good? He said it's good for us to enjoy our work, accept our lot in life, receiving that as a gift from God. This, this second type of person that we're, that we're meeting this morning is someone I would describe as content, content, right? So this is my question this morning, and this is actually the title of my sermon. Why am I discontent? Discontent. Last week, my wife Rachel asked me a question, and I, I'm still struggling to come up with an answer for this question. She walks up to me and says, Andrew, do you think you could pick up your piles? And I'm like, my pile? She's like, yeah, I don't know if you're aware of this, but articles of your clothing, they're mounding in two distinct piles. One is on the edge of your dresser, and the other is just on the floor, right by your bed. And I, I was confused, because the answer seems obvious to me. I just said, I need those piles. <laughs> She's like, you need those piles? I'm like, yes, yes. Sometimes when you wear clothing and, and then you're ready to take that clothing off, it's not quite dirty enough to just put into the hamper. But it is also not quite clean enough <laughs> to put back in the drawer. <laughs> Am I right? So I need, I need piles. I need my pile. Who is a pile person? Yes, yes. Okay, then who's not a pile person? Who's like, no, oh, it's just as I suspected. If you raise your hand as a pile person, you're sitting next to someone you probably live with who's a not pile person, right? The how can reconciliation be, be found? If you're not a pile person, I don't get it. You, this is the kind of person who will walk into their closet, try on an outfit, say, this isn't right for the occasion. And since it was in contact with my skin for five nanoseconds, immediately in the hamper. Why? There's another way. You can just take the clothes off and apply them to the floor. Do you have any idea how accessible clothing is on the floor? Any guesses where I found this outfit this morning? I often feel like the clothes that's in my piles, right? I, I have a few accomplishments in my life. I, I, you know, my life hasn't been a waste so far. Uh, but I, I'm not done, right? I, my life's not over. There's still more for me, right? Why am I discontent? Well, I'm supposed to be discontent, right? I can't allow myself to be content because there's still more left in my life. I have this, I have this train of thought that... that uh, kind of a, a success train of thought that I follow sometimes. I think we can put it up on the screen. Yeah, I want to achieve. Maybe achieve is the wrong word. Maybe it's I want to become or I want to experience, I want to have. Uh, maybe maybe it, uh, I want to, I, when my suffering is over, I want to achieve like freedom from this suffering I'm experiencing, right? So in order to achieve, I have to be a person of action. And then in order to take action, well, I can't allow myself to be complacent, right? Complacent, that's that's not something I want to be described as. But in order to not be complacent, I can't allow myself to be content. And if I can maintain this attitude long enough, success, right? That train of thought. And, and maybe if you're like me and you're hearing me talk about being content, you, you might even be asking yourself the question, well, am I just supposed to be content with injustice? Should I just be content with human trafficking or poverty or systemic racism? 
No, we've got to achieve, right? We've got things that we need to do. But the author of Ecclesiastes seems to ask a, a question about this. He, he steps back and he says, well, why? Why do we need to achieve? What's the point? What is it all, where does it all point to? And that, that is when he discovers what I'm going to call the discontentment cycle. See, the reason I want to achieve is because in my current state, I'm not content. And I'm thinking that somewhere down the road is contentment for me, right? So it creates this cycle. Let's put the cycle up on the screen, right? Step one is actually I am not content. And so I, I must achieve. Now we're stuck in that train of thought, right? In order to achieve, I got to take action. In order to take action, I can't allow myself to be complacent. And so since to not be complacent, I can't allow myself to be content. I'm not content. See, it's a cycle. It's meaningless. He calls it Havel, a vapor. It's like the sun going up, then the sun goes back down, and it goes back around, comes back up, it goes back down. We're just caught in this cycle. And this is the first type of person the author is describing in Ecclesiastes 5. They're caught in this cycle. So how? How do I get out of this cycle and become that second person in Ecclesiastes. Why am I discontent? Well, I want to propose this morning, based on this text, something really, really powerful, which is that contentment has everything to do with what your source is. Your source. We're going to dig into that. I wrote it like this. I am discontent when I tap into the wrong source for contentment. There's only one source of true contentment. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Right? And, and the, uh, the text in Ecclesiastes is actually really forcing me to kind of redefine the word content for me. I, I think that, I, that we often have a connotation around contentment uh, in, in like our culture that is, that is not actually what the Bible describes about contentment right? Specifically in the text in Ecclesiastes, I, I see three things that, are, that I believe are fallacies that we often believe about contentment. But he gives us also three secrets for how to stop being this first person caught in the discontentment cycle and become this second person who is content with life. Would anybody like to be content this morning? Amen. Well, let's dive in. Let's dive in. There's three fallacies I see about contentment. The first one, we kind of, we kind of already touched on it a little bit, is this. A fallacy is that contentment produces complacency. I got to be a person of action. I don't want to be defined as someone who is complacent. But look at what Ecclesiastes 5 in verse 18 says. It says, it is good for people to enjoy their, say it out loud, work. work. We should be enjoying our work. A content person is not a complacent person, according to Ecclesiastes. It is good to enjoy your work. It is good for me to enjoy that honeydew list. You know what I'm saying? When the trash can is full, but you got another bag you need to fit into the trash can, and your spouse just requires your girth to smash down the bin, I enjoy. I enjoy my work. You know when the dog vomits on the couch, but the Kardashian starts in 15 minutes? I enjoy preparing that throne. Although I do not enjoy the Kardashians. I don't understand the Kardashians. Anybody with me in Kardashians? Thank you, Pastor Pradeepin. 
It's good to enjoy your work. Jesus actually uses a really powerful metaphor that I think really helps me understand this a little bit better. He talks about it in John 15, verse 5. He says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Notice how Jesus' metaphor here, it forces us to look at the source, right? He's the vine. We're a branch, and the goal is to produce fruit, right? To to be productive, not complacent. And how do we do that? What's the key ingredient? He says, remain in me. Remain. The Greek word that he's using there is the word meno. Everyone say meno. It can be translated to remain, to stay, uh, to abide is another common translation. There's a really strong connotation here of permanence permanently remaining in Jesus. Let me make another metaphor. I am to remain permanently faithful to my wife. Let me use, a, let me use another, another phrase here for this permanent. I am to remain forever content, forever content in Jesus. If I am forever content in Jesus, that is the key ingredient towards being productive right? It, we get, I get afraid that if I allow myself to be content, I'm never going to do anything with my life. But it's actually from this position of contentment that we actually get to be productive people, productive with Jesus. I wonder if we view contentment like a tryptophan crash sometimes, right? Like, I just ate Thanksgiving dinner. I'm so full. I'm just bloated. I just want to sit down and defeat my enemies in Super Smash Brothers. You know what I'm saying? After, but that's, I think that's the wrong metaphor here. I think the metaphor the Bible is talking about is more like a refreshing night of sleep, right? It's not about being full. It's about being filled. Are we supposed to be content with injustice? No. We're just supposed to be content before we approach injustice, right? I got to be content in Jesus and who he's made me, for me to even have the power to approach anything, to do anything, contentment comes first. That's what I want to say this morning. It's not about being complacent. Now, one, one last thing on the topic it, about rest and relaxation. I do think those things are important. We, we got to rest. We got to relax. We've got we've to be refreshed. Diet, exercise, sleep, the Sabbath, those things are super, super important. However, this is the key here. Those things are not the path to contentment. If you're burnt out this morning, you can't Sabbath your way to not being burnt out. You need to Sabbath your way to Jesus. Jesus is the one who can bring us contentment. I am forever content in who Jesus is. So the first fallacy, contentment produces complacency. Why am I discontent? Well, one answer might be that uh, I, I'm, I'm not allowing myself to be content because I'm worried about being complacent. That's, that's not it. When I'm content in Jesus, I actually learn the first secret. Contentment creates productivity. It's the opposite, right? It creates productivity in us. All right, fallacy number two. You guys with me? Love it, love it. Fallacy number two uh, is this. We cannot be content and suffering at the same time. Suffering at the same time. Now, you can rest easy because I'm not about to preach what I'll call toxic positivity this morning. I'm not, I'm not about to tell you, oh, you just got to have an attitude of gratitude. You just got to be too blessed to be stressed. I'm not about to tell you to be a favor raver. 
I'm not going to require you to just live in this grace place or have a posture to prosper. That's all I got. I, I learned this from the best. I'm just a vessel. I'm just a vessel. No, what does Ecclesiastes 5.18 says? It says, it, says um, it is good for people to accept their lot in life. The problem is, is that when we hear stuff like this, often I feel like this is kind of the, the, the feeling of what gets preached. Can we, can we throw that video up there? It's just like, house is on fire. This is fine. This is fine. This is fine. You want me to accept my lot in life? So this begs the question to me, how, how do I accept my lot in life when it feels like my house is on fire without just taking a sip of coffee and saying, this is fine. <laughs> this is fine. Well, I want to jump over to um, actually the next book of the Bible, the book of Job. Um, Job is a really wealthy guy, and um, I love this. Just, just leave it up there. This is fine. This is my next point. Job is this really wealthy guy. Uh, he has a big family, and for reasons we don't understand in the Bible, God allows the devil to take it all away from him. His family is killed. All his possessions are, are destroyed or stolen, and then his health is taken away. So we're, we're only in chapter 2 at this, where, where we're going we're gonna to jump in, and he, he's probably feeling like he's on his deathbed. And look at what Job 2, verses 9 and 10 says says, then Job's wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Now, this is a scripture, but husbands, I think we can categorize this under things not to say <laughs> to our wives. I'm going to preach the Bible, but proceed at your own risk. This, this is the powerful thing. Look at what this last sentence says. I can't believe Job said this. Should we accept good things from God's hand and never anything bad? I want to take a moment this morning and be really vulnerable and share something that my wife and I are going through because we're currently and honestly really painfully developing our skill to be content yet suffering at the same time. Um, in 2019, towards the end of that year, Rachel and I, uh, we just bought a house and we decided it's time, we're ready, we've been looking forward to this, we, we're ready to start a family, we're ready to have kids. And so we got excited about that, we started trying, but then pretty quickly after that, um, the pandemic hit and unfortunately Rachel uh, was laid off as a result of the pandemic. So we decided, okay, it's not, it's not the right time for us to have kids, it's not the right financial decision, so we put it off. And seven, eight months later, uh, uh, she got another job. Praise the Lord. It's a great job. She's still there. Um, so it's, it's, time to, it's time to start trying to have kids again, right? Uh, this was late 20, 2020 at this point. And um, so, yeah, so we start trying to have kids. And 12 months goes by. And, of course, every month you get that awful signal that we're not pregnant. We're praying for it. We're believing for it. We're excited for it. We're not pregnant. So 12 months goes by and we decide, okay, well, I guess, I guess it's time to start sealing a fertility specialist, which is annoying, right? It's expensive. Why is this not just working for us? So we see the fertility specialist and go through months more of testing and some of these tests are painful, some of these tests are intrusive, it's annoying, it's uncomfortable. 
And uh, so a few months later, uh, we finally sit down with this fertility specialist and, and she says, well, I have a diagnosis for you. And it's this, unexplained infertility, which is like more annoying than, than some sort of diagnosis. We're like, we've been trying, it's not, something's not working. What do you mean you can't explain it? And the doctors are still hopeful for us, you know, we're at this point, 22 months of consecutive trying, 36 months of being ready for it. The doctors are still hopeful, but after all that time, I am not. <laughs> I, I'm not hopeful. I, if you were to sneak into my prayer life, you'd hear me ask questions of God like, like this. God, why, why do some men get drunk one night and accidentally get someone pregnant and then abandon those kids? Like, I've worked so hard to build a relationship with Rachel that's going to be a healthy home for a kid. Why do you give them a kid but not me? Why, why do some men who are the kind of people who are going to torment and abuse a child, give, you know, traumatize a child, why, why, do, why do they have kids? But me, I, I've tried to develop this robust community of accountability to you know, raise a child in a village. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Why? This is the right place to give a child, God, right? I mean, even, even harder, why, why are all my friends getting pregnant, having kids, and I just feel further and further behind in life with this? Or why, why do I even want this so bad? Why would you allow this desire to be so deep in me, but 36 months in a row, I ask you for it and you say no? Why? How can I be content? How can I be content? I wish I could talk to the author of Ecclesiastes and say, this, this is the first thing that you say is good? Just to be content? Just accept my lot in life? And I don't say all this to vent to you. I say this because as I'm, as I'm preaching this this morning, I, I actually can't say that I'm content. I actually can't say that I'm really following this as much as I should. And, and, and so this isn't a, here's what I'm doing, follow me. This is a, here's what I think the scriptures say, you want to come with me <laughs> sort of situation. Thanks. So I want to I wanna propose something call, that I'm going to call the contentment test. I think this is a, maybe a powerful way for us to take steps towards being that second person in Ecclesiastes, especially if you're going through something like, like I am, if you're suffering this morning, the contentment test. Uh, in ancient Persia, I bet you didn't see that coming. In ancient Persia, there was this king named Nebuchadnezzar. He made a huge statue of, of himself. And on penalty of death by being burned alive, <laughs> he's, he forced his subjects to worship this gold statue. See, he was trying to make sure his subjects looked to him as their source, right? But three brave Jews said something insane to this king. Let's go to Daniel 3.16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ben replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And then this, this verse right here is insane to me. 
But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Here's the contentment test. I wonder, I wonder if what, whatever you are facing this morning, whatever you're going through, whatever your desires are, I wonder if you are able to rewrite these verses about your situation and mean it. I wonder if you pass the contentment test. Here's my version, Andrew's version. Andrew replied to the infertility he is facing. Dear unexplained infertility, I don't need to prove anything to you. If you continue to keep my wife and me from getting pregnant, my God is able to deliver me from your hand and he will give us a child. But even if he does not, I want you to know unexplained infertility that Jesus and not being a parent is the God I worship and I will accept whatever comes from his hand, child or no child. I believe that true contentment doesn't ignore the darkness we wake up to every day. It just has the same response to darkness as it does to light forever content in Jesus. You know, we love following Jesus when it means he heals us of our sickness, when he calls us to be kind to the people around us, when he helps us overcome the challenges that we're facing. But will you follow Jesus onto the cross? Will you nail your hopes and dreams and desires on the cross if he asks you? I think that's what it's about. The second fallacy is that contentment and suffering cannot exist at the same time. But the second secret is that suffering itself so often produces deeper contentment, real contentment. It can't be taken away. It's never going anywhere. If you're like me, if you're facing something like I'm facing, you're probably sitting here like, okay, you convinced me. I fail your stupid contentment test. I'm not a content person. What now? So I wanna, I wanna bring this to a conclusion with some practical things. What can we actually do? What can we actually do? Let's, let's talk about Philippians 4, verse 11 through 13. I think Paul here, as he's writing this, he describes something that, that gives me a heading for moving forward. And it's really, really powerful. He says, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. See, he, he had to learn it. it did, contentment is not a naturally occurring resource for us, right? He had to learn it. Most people believe Paul was writing this at the end of his life. I wonder how long it took him to learn how to be content in every circumstance. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, plenty or little. Paul, was, uh, he was born into a wealthy family. He had access to maybe the best education that was available at the time, and he enjoyed the benefits of being a citizen of the most powerful empire in the world. Paul, had, Paul understood affluence, right? He, he understood that, but also we know about Paul that he, he understood suffering as well. He was beaten and tortured for what he believed. Uh, he went hungry and thirsty at times. He was shipwrecked, just drifting in the ocean for days at a time. He knew what it meant to be suffering, to be betrayed. The Bible says he has a thorn in his side, something that just wouldn't leave him alone. And he said, I've learned a secret of being content 
in any circumstance. And in verse 13, he tells us that secret. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. It'd be, it'd be nice if I could stand up here and say, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, which means through Christ's power, Rachel and I can be healed of infertility and we're going to have a child, right? That's what I want the scripture to say. But what it actually says, if I really read it, the secret here, is that regardless of what happens, whichever way things go, I can be content in every circumstance through Christ who gives me strength. The third fallacy about contentment is that it comes naturally. It comes from within. I'm trying so hard to be strong in this situation, especially for Rachel. I just want to be someone who's strong, who can, who can kind of carry us through this. When she's feeling weak, she can lean on me, right? But I don't have it. It's not inside me. I can't produce it. I can't conjure faith and hope in this situation. It doesn't come naturally. There's only one way I can get it, and it is through Jesus. Contentment can only be received. That's the secret there. In Ecclesiastes 5, verse 19, it says that it is a gift from God. Gifts are received. Right, verse 20, God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. Notice who's doing the keeping there. Are you trying to be content yourself? Are you trying to will it into existence? You're never gonna find it. I can't make this up. I can't conjure this. I can't be strong enough. I can only find it in Jesus. So what do I do? What do I do? Well, you're not, like I said, you're not going to find me doing this perfectly, but I'll tell you what I am going to do. Tomorrow morning, just like I have for the last 36 months, I'm going to get up, I'm going to get down on my knees, and I'm going to pray, even if I don't hear him. Next Sunday, where am I going to be? I'm going to be right here. My hands are going to be in the air, and I'm going to worship Jesus, even though I'm not super happy with him right now. I'm going to study the words and the ways of Jesus, and I'm going to model my life after that, even when modeling my life after that means nailing my hopes and dreams to the cross. I'm not going to turn anywhere in this world to find contentment, to find my satisfaction, to be full and complete. I'm only going to turn to Jesus day after day, week after week. I am forever content in Jesus. Right? So here's what I want to do to, to close this out. If we, can, if we can put the scripture in Daniel back up on the screen, this is the contentment test, the contentment test. I want to ask everyone in this room, take out your phone or a notepad or, or something, something like that. And I want to, I'm just going to wait for maybe 60 seconds. And I want to encourage you to take the contentment test today. Specifically, it's verse 18 there. But even if he does not, even if I die without fulfilling these things that I, that I want, that I desire, that I long for, I am content in Jesus. I will be content in every circumstance. So I'm gonna give you 60 seconds and I just encourage you, let the Holy Spirit lead you to maybe what, what's the thing you're desiring? What's the thing you're longing for? What, what's a, a season of suffering that you're facing? Take the contentment test. See if you can mean these verses.
by turning to Jesus and, and nothing else, I can redefine my approach towards how I feel about starting a family, right? Whatever you're going through this morning, whatever you're facing, might seem just as impossible, just as huge. You can redefine how you approach life, who you even are. You can be content in every circumstance if you'll turn to Jesus. Imagine a church full of people who are just content in Jesus. We could, we could even redefine how the world sees Jesus in general, right? Why are you discontent? Do you, do you pass the contentment test? Do you fail this morning? I fail. <laughs> I know I fail. I just encourage you, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. And maybe this morning you might say, well, I, I fail this contentment test because I, I've never turned to Jesus ever in my life, in the first place. Maybe you're, maybe you're sitting here and you, you might say, I, I'm not quite sure that I'm, I'm fully buying into this Jesus thing in the, at all, you know? So of course I failed the contentment test. Well, first of all, welcome here. I'm, I'm so happy you're here. But I wanna, I wanna give you, if that's how you feel this morning, I wanna give you an opportunity to choose Jesus. I really believe that, that there's nowhere to find contentment. There's nowhere to be satisfied. There's nowhere that's gonna fill you up. It's gonna make you feel complete other than Jesus. So I wanna give you an opportunity to choose Jesus as your source, your source today, to abide, to remain forever content. So here, here's how I wanna do it. If everybody could just close their eyes and bow their heads this morning. This is gonna make this just a private moment so no one's, no one's looking around. And, and I wanna ask if, if that's you this morning, you wanna, you wanna give your life to Jesus I wanna include you in a prayer. I wanna make sure you have the next steps if, if you wanna know more about that. So I'm gonna to count to three, and if that describes you this morning, I want you to just raise your hand. If you'd like to choose Jesus as your source of contentment today, raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. I see that hand, I see that hand. I see a number of hands. You can put it back, hands back down. Amen. Well, we can all open our eyes here. And what I wanna do is I wanna, I wanna say a prayer together. And everyone in the whole congregation is actually gonna say it out loud at the same time. It's not a magic spell or incantation or anything. This is just a, this is just a, a prayer that we've written out that can, that can help define a moment of turning to Jesus, choosing him as our source. And so I, I, especially the four or five of you that, that raised your hand, I just encourage you, let these words really resonate in your heart. It's the beginning of a really powerful journey and we can't wait to be part of it. Let's say this together. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I open the door of my life and receive you as my savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Take control of my life. I turn from my old ways and invite you to come into my heart and life. I wanna trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior in the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. 
hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 9.45 and 11.30 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.